Digital Gonzo, episode 67, dated Thursday the 5th of April 2012, Iron Man. No one's allowed to talk, is that it? You can't talk? No, you intimidate them. Good God, you're a woman. <laughs> is it better to be feared or respected? And I say, is it too much to ask for both? I humbly present the Jericho. Tony Stark. Now you work for me. What are you building, Stark? Your eyes are red. Your tears for your long lost boss? Tears of joy. I hate job hunting. Yeah, vacation's over. Welcome home, sir. Put up the scanner, will you? What happened over there? I have my eyes open. I want to protect the people. I put in harm's way. A man with a dozen of these can rule all of Asia. Yeah, I can fly. Let's see if this dog can hunt. So the upgrade is complete. Tell you what, throw a little hot rod red in there. Damn. Good luck keeping up. What's going on here? Let's face it, this is not the worst thing you've caught me doing. There's been speculation that I'm parading around as a superhero. I'm just not the, the hero type, clearly. This is the first of an ongoing and intermittent series of reviews of the cinematic outings of the Marvel Comics superheroes. The first five will focus on the recent Marvel Cinematic Universe, namely both the Iron Man films, Thor, Captain America the First Avenger, and The Incredible Hulk. All five of these stories converge at the end of this month when The Avengers hits the big screen and decades of waiting will be hopefully paid off. Joining me to discuss the first officially Marvel-produced and canon kickstarting film, 2008's Iron Man, I have Gonzo Planet's resident website sharpshooter making his first covert appearance on Digital Gonzo, introducing Agent Paul Gibson. Hi there. The Jade Giant returns from Game Burst and KDS 2.0, it's Raging Neil Taylor. Hello. From the Gonzo Planet community cast, giving Nick Fury himself a run for his money on pure ice cool, it's Jerome McIntosh. Hello there. And finally, alighting in the realm of Midgard after a hop, skip and a jump down the rainbow road from Cane and Rince, my senses detect the godlike presence of Joshua Garrity bearing his shining review hammer, Meow Meow. Welcome, Josh. Thank you very much. I don't know if I can live up to that intro now, but <laughs> I can try. I don't know about you guys, but I knew pretty much bugger all about Iron Man before I actually watched this film, and I'm fairly certain most of the world did too. Uh, with possibly the exception of me. I knew him before that. You knew him? Well, I, yes, I knew him. <laughs> I I watched the 90s com, um, cartoon on Fox Kids when it was on. 
any good. No. 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 That's the one where Iron Man at one point plugged himself into a woman's personal stereo and then used the sound vibrations to recharge his armor. (laughs) That'd be the one. Yeah, that actually happened, kids. Sound energy. That's it. I don't understand. Sound energy, solar energy, heat energy. Under certain circumstances, all energy is roughly interchangeable. Your portable tape player, what's on it? Van Cliburn playing Rachmaninoff? Why? Perfect. The strong melodic line and harmonics should do the trick. Uh, I'll explain later, but right now, play your tape as loudly as you can. I feel its energy coursing through me. My strength returning. Accessing battery packs. Powering up. It worked! Oh, Iron Man, you're all right again. Thanks to you and Van Cliburn, with an assist from Rock Money. I really knew him from reading Civil War. Mm. Uh, yeah, mm. he comes off as an interesting character in Civil War, so it's certainly it's, it's, it's more interesting than he's appeared um, so, so far. But, but the problem with Iron Man, as he has appeared today, until 2008, is he's done usually very straight-laced and very straightforward. The, the Iron Man, the complex, the, the wounded, the, um, the, the weak individual, as he occasionally appears in comics like uh, the, the classic issue, Demon in the Bottle, uh, is that he's, he's always just been a fake... A fairly straight-laced character, and and not one that you can really get with. He's a billionaire industrialist, and he he goes after his, you know people who have used his tech. No one can relate to that. Tony Stark makes you feel he's a cool exec with a heart of steel. And Iron Man all jets a blaze. He's fighting and smite with repulsor rays. Amazing armor. Yeah, he, he's an odd choice of a character. The movies do a really good job. He has he has had some interesting storylines in the comic book. I've got quite a few. This is why I said I know him before, sort of the cartoon and stuff. Uh, when I, uh, many years ago, I'm not saying how many because I can't remember, I went to a car boot sale with my dad. And this guy sold me a stack of Iron Man Marvel comic books for about a pound. There's about 50 of them. So I was like, yeah, I'll have those. I was quite happy reading through those. And there were some... Some good stories in there, some pretty what you standard comic book stories, but it also had one of them is the um, uh, you pointed out the demon in the bottle, which is the one everyone knows that Tony Stark was an alcoholic. The other one is the fact that he was paralyzed at one point. Ah, yes, by an ex-lover, and I've got the resolution of that and an interesting crossover with Doctor Doom. Oh, is that the one where he goes back in time? Uh, he goes to he goes it forward in time to the future where King Arthur and Merlin have been resurrected. Wait, what? For, uh, <laughs> to the future? Yes, okay, right. that's mental. But um, so, what kind of period was that? Sort of mid eighties. I would say it's probably the late eighties. I think early nineties. I I don't have them to hand to go and check the date, but they're not bad. They are fun. But he's not as a character in the comic book. Tony Stark isn't that. Interesting. No. I don't think in, he's that interesting in many comic books. I growled about the Civil War, uh, Tony Stark, because uh, in Civil War, Tony Stark and yeah. Mr. Fantastic come across as being utter assholes. Yeah. They do. They can only see the big picture. Stan the Man Lee, co-creator of Spider-Man, the X-Men, Hulk, Thor, Daredevil, Doctor Strange, Black Panther, and the Fantastic Four, amongst others, wanted to create the quintessential capitalist, a character that would go against the spirit of the times, this would be the early 60s, and Marvel's readership. 
Lee said, I think I gave myself a dare. It was the height of the Cold War, and the young readers, if there was one thing they hated, it was the war. It was the military. So I got a hero who represented that to the hundredth degree. He was a weapons manufacturer, providing weapons for the army. He was rich. He was an industrialist. I thought it'd be fun to take that kind of character that nobody would like, shove him down their throats, and make them like him. Stark was largely based on Howard Hughes, the brilliant but rather insane industrialist you may have seen depicted by Leonardo DiCaprio in The Aviator. In Stan's words, Howard Hughes was one of the most colourful men of our time. He was an inventor, an adventurer, a multi-billionaire, a ladies' man, and finally, a nutcase. Without being crazy, he was Howard Hughes, and clearly it took Downey to insert a heroic dose of crazy and bring Tony back full circle to being a much more interesting character. There, there's actually there's one major contributor. Uh, there, no, hang on, there's two major contributory um, comic book uh, points here. Uh, one is the Iron Man extremist story written by Warren Ellis. That was the, the main design for uh, the armor, which they said, yeah, actually, that is, that is what we want to be able to replicate on screen. Um, and, and also the, the more adult-themed um, focus of it. It's, it. But it's a really interesting idea because um, Tony works on the nanotechnology and designs himself uh, a skin-tight Iron Man suit that can, base, that can be stored inside his bones. It's, it's, it's more about the fusion between man and machine and the closer Tony is getting to actually being a, a, you know, part mechanical himself. It, it, it is kind of weird, but it's written by Warren Ellis, who is crazy and fantastic as well. Uh, the other major contributory uh, part is The Ultimates, which I think, Jerome, you remember because you were on the, um, uh, the Ultimates episode. With yeah. Who else was on that one? It was me as well, yeah. Um, yeah, the um, the Stark in that, uh, modelled on Johnny Depp, was is a lot closer to this version of Stark. He's a bit more sort of telly how old boy, but um, he has that same kind of um, charisma. Child, yeah, charisma and the childlike ability to suddenly do something quite whimsical uh, with with his vast amount of power and money, uh, which which make him more exciting and fun to be around. Uh, he doesn't have that kind of I'm dying thing mm. until Iron Man two. But that's definitely there. Okay, so, uh, other things that were definitely present in the comic, uh, Yinsen, in almost every version of Iron Man, Yinsen is there to help him design the first ever suit of armour when he's, in, a, in every scenario, he gets captured in the same way and there's usually an explosion, there's usually shrapnel, he's, you know, it's, it's the thing that creates the, 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 the life or death situation and the necessity to create himself iron suit and, and, and technology to keep himself alive. But Yinsen's always there to help him. Alcoholism drifts in and out of his storylines, depending on how uh, adult-themed they are. I don't think it was ever even mentioned in any of the animated shows. But um, he's almost always got a drink in his hand when he's just relaxing in, uh, in, in the films, you may notice. So if they are going to lead up to the Demon in the Bottle storyline in three, then that's nicely foreshadowed in this. Mm. Is it the first time you see him with a drink in his hand? It's the first thing you see. It's, it's, it's his drink before you even see him. So, yeah, I mean, uh, then obviously he ends up getting completely pissed up in, uh, in Iron Man 2 and making a fool of himself. So it's, 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 a, it's a slippery slope. So I think they could explore that uh, very well in the third one. They've also mooted that they're going to introduce the Mandarin. Yeah, I was going to say that. Yeah. Some foreshadowing of that in this one as well. Oh, uh, the only example where uh, Yinsen is not used is The Invincible Iron Man, which is available on Netflix, and I utterly do not recommend you watch. No. It's bloody awful. I highly recommend the Doctor Strange one, though. 
And I super recommend uh, Hulk vs. Thor and Hulk vs. Wolverine. Favreau had planned to cast a newcomer in the role of Tony Stark, but ultimately he chose Robert Downey Jr., a fan of the comic, uh, because he felt the actor's past made him an appropriate choice for the part. The best and worst moments of Robert's life have been in the public eye, the director explained. He had to find an inner balance to overcome obstacles that went far beyond his career. That's Tony Stark. Robert brings the depth that goes beyond the comic book character who is having trouble in high school or can't get the girl. Favreau also felt Downey could make Stark a likeable asshole, but also depict an authentic emotional journey once he won over the audience. Downey had an office next to Favreau during pre-production, which allowed him greater involvement in the screenwriting process. He brought a deeper sense of humour to the film, not present in previous drafts of the script. And Downey explains, What I usually hate about these superhero movies is that when suddenly the guy that you were digging turns into Dudley Do-Right, and you're supposed to buy into all this, let's go do some good, that Elliot Ness and a Kate type thing. What was really important to me was not to have him change so much that he's unrecognisable. When someone used to be a schmuck and they're not anymore, hopefully they still have a sense of humour. And yeah, Robert Downey Jr.'s acting style also comes very heavily into the actual, the, the way lines are delivered in the film. It's, it's like suddenly there's, there's a, a genuine feel of improv in there. And it's not just him doing it, but uh, Paltrow does it. Even um, uh, Reverse Beard. What? Jeff Bridges. Even Bridges, Bridges. Yeah, Bridges. <laughs> Even Bridges does it. Um, like, you know, doing that messing around with his pizza thing. It, it, it makes it feel um, much more immediate, and it's unusual for a superhero or comic book uh, film. A, a superhero. Actually, you know, it's not unusual for a comic book film to feel like that, but it's definitely unusual for a superhero film to feel like that. Um, the, there's only one that I can think of, which interestingly had Favreau in it, that has moments like that. Oh, dear. Oh, yes. Daredevil. Yep. Uh, His moments on screen were the best moments, these little d- d- uh, discussions with Ben Affleck. It's not a great film at all, especially considering what's come later. But, uh, but you know, he's good in it. And it, it allowed him to develop a uh, uh, relationship with Marvel, which can only be a good thing. I'd completely sure. forgotten he was in that. Yeah, he's Foggy Nelson, which I think makes him the actor who's played the most different characters in Marvel films. Anyone rack their brains for other people? As I understand it, he has played not only um, Happy Hogan in in this, and more specifically in Iron Man 2, uh, but Foggy Nelson in Daredevil. Uh, Anyone else uh, know anyone who's played, an actor who's played more than one Marvel character? Uh, Chris Evans. Yep, of course. He's played... Human Torch in Captain America. Indeed. Uh, Anyone else? I'm sure there is another one, I just can't think who it would be at the minute. Sam Elliott. 
Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He was uh, General Thunderbolt Ross in the original Hulk by Ang Lee. Don't make me Ang Lee. And uh, he was also... Old Ghost Rider. Old Ghost Rider. Cowboy Ghost Rider, whatever his name is. Oh. Prior to this, there had been many, many Marvel movies like X-Men and Blade and Ghost Rider and Daredevil and Hulk and Electra <laughs> and Blade Trinity and Blade 2. Um, and... To, to varying degrees of quality. Oh, of course, Spider-Man as well. And th- th- this is when Marvel had farmed out all of their licenses to different studios. And it was kind of annoying because you knew that Sony would never allow a Fox-related uh, and Fox-owned, as in distribution and rights to be shown on screen, character in the same movie. So you could never get Spider-Man and the X-Men in the same movie. Um, but now, with Iron Man, Marvel started producing their own films uh, you know, in association with Paramount which allowed for them to actually have interactions and characters coming in and out of each other's movies. And it's only ever been fairly brief little cameos, but it's all obviously been leading up to the Avengers. Now, people listening in um, two months' time will now know if the Avengers was fantastic or shit, and and, and ultimately as to whether it was worth it. But one of the things I've always loved about the Marvel Universe is that when Spider-Man's standing on a rooftop brooding, Daredevil can come along and give him a little pep talk. That, that's always been fantastic about Marvel, and I love the fact that they finally started doing this. You could say it was a, it's a shame that they made so many movies, some, especially so many crappy movies, in between Blade and uh, Iron Man, but in that ten years, they did also manage to go from the brink of absolute financial ruin to being powerhouses again. So, and it was the movies that did that. I so suppose the closest comic book fans have come to actually having something similar to that mm-hmm. on screen, and Alex is going to just shout at me in a minute when I say this program's name, is Smallville. Uh, yeah, no, no, I'm not going to shout at you. Why would I shout at you? I'm, I'm, no, because I you hate their depiction of Green Arrow. <laughs> I, I don't hate it. I've never even seen him. But uh, looking at this little bitch, I would imagine that he is not Oliver McQueen and never will be. It's got to be but better yeah, than the new series. Oh, God. <laughs> the CW announced Arrow. Arrow? Arrow. Yes. Starring the kid who... The little no, bitch it's actually a new guy, but Green Nothing. Arrow based. Still still Smallville, or...? I think it's the creative team or something, or someone from the team, so be in that zone. Okay, well, I'm fairly certain it's not going to be the Oliver McQueen I know and love, the uh, you know, lefty, liberal, angry, Robin Hood-type guy who'll punch you in the face. DC Hawkeye, but even better. Back onto the subject. Um, so yeah, the Marvel films finally, you know, kicked off. And you know, looking at the five we've got to deal with, it wasn't bad. Not bad at all. I mean, some of them are really, really good. Some of them are just good. But there's not going to be one film that I'm going. This is a piece of shit. Why do they even make it? Yeah, they're all good. Um, I think the toughest challenge, perhaps, maybe wasn't Iron Man or Cap or uh, mm. or even the Hulk. I think the hardest one they had to do was Thor. Yeah. Because I mean, Thor is a magic-based Marvel yeah, hero. Yeah. Everyone the reason else is they didn't tech. go for Mandarin in, uh, in Iron Man is because he's, he's something like out of Lord of the Rings, not uh, tech. I've always thought that the hardest one for them to do was actually Captain America, because especially considering what's happened over the last ten years in America, it's to get that politically and socially on the nose, that, I mean, 
they, they did the smart thing by having it be back in World War Two, where you didn't have to handle current world politics. Yeah, Cap Cap is an awkward one. I'm I love Cap. I'm a big mm. fan of Cap, the yeah, Steve Rogers too. Cap. So I think they did an okay job with that movie, but we'll mm. obviously talk about that when we do do that one. Yeah. But I can understand that. That one's probably just a little bit harder, just because when you hear Captain America, certain people are going to scoff at it. Yeah. So Iron Man, um, to me the best of the bunch, really knocked it out of the park straight away first time. And there are three main reasons why Iron Man is so fantastic. One of them is that even if there was no Iron Man suit in this film, Tony Stark would be a fascinating and fantastic character the whole way through, and I would watch a film about him. Yeah, Johnny Depp just owns that role. There is. Johnny Depp, sorry. Whoa! <laughs> In the Ultimates, he did. You know, he was mooted. Him and there were um, two others who were caught in the role. Oh, God. Have you checked these? No. Okay, right. One of them, I mean, it's, it's fairly obvious what this film would have been like. Tom Cruise in 1998. Oh, yeah. He wanted to just not only be Tony Stark, but to exec produce the thing. And I, I, can, I can picture the posters right now. Tom looking all angry and serious and moustachey and like, I am Iron Man. Ugh. And being all charming and slimy and handsome and vulnerable. And, and like, Tom Cruise, basically. Tom Cruise, basically. And, and every other Tom Cruise film that's ever happened. I mean, he's been in some great films, but some of those, his best films are ones where he plays a total artist. Asshole. So maybe it would be quite good, especially if you had a, a powerful director who could actually say, no, Tom, in this you're an asshole. Um, the other one, oh God, Nicolas Cage. No, 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 no. 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 In, it was 1997, just after The Rock, you know, way before Ghost Rider. But remember, he, he wanted to be a superhero at any cost. He what? wanted to be Superman. Was this in, when he was in the running for Superman? The it was, yeah. One? Oh, yeah. How, how I think it might that? actually... Oh my god, how did they even think he was a good Superman? What were they? Ah, oh, just. Yeah, have you seen some of the pictures of, that came out of the stuff they designed? It was god awful. Could oh. they have him maybe fight a giant spider? Yeah, <laughs> the one. <laughs> Downey Jr.'s Tony Stark. The way he performs him, yeah. the way he portrays him, and, and the fact that you are immediately told this guy is an arse, but he's an entertaining arse. And you want to see his journey. And, and Tony absolutely definitely has a journey throughout this thing. He's not just a badass. And also, he's not a kid. So many of these superheroes are just kids or teenagers. And they're on, oh my god, these powers and these incredible, you know. And they're always, you know, at odds with their powers and the, the world that won't accept them. None of that with Tony. The world totally accepts him. The world embraces him so much, it's himself who disgusts him. Um, but he's an adult. And, and he deals with it, and, and, he, and he gets up and he moves out, and, and it's kind of like Jerry Maguire, in the fact that, you know, he realises that he hates his place in the world fairly early on. And then, you know, the rest of it is about him trying to sort of find his place, and um, then Pepper Potts slash Dorothy Boyd is the only one who'll come with him on this crazy madcap journey. <laughs> No one else coming with me on the whole Jerry Maguire comparison? No, I think that metaphor got away from you. <laughs> so, right. Um, okay, so that's one. 
Anyone else want to cite some other reasons which why this uh, film is is you know straight out of the ballpark for for Marvel? Well, the dialogue is fantastic. I mean, they got the thing they got right was the basics. You've got a good cast, you've got a good script, and you've got good direction, and everything else is just a cherry on the cake. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Absolutely. So. I mean, the scenes with Pepper Potts and uh, Tony Stark are arguably some of the best scenes in the whole movie, mm. um, which is rare for a uh, superhero movie because most of the time you say all oh, the train bit in uh, Spider-Man 2 or all oh, the first fight in Blade. But in this, it's the conversations between characters and the dialogue that's really the meat of Absolutely. the film. Bingo, on the nose, completely. In fact, uh, if someone had told me Iron Man 2 was going to have lots of conversations, I'd have gone, oh, good, okay, and it did. If someone had told me Iron Man 2, explosions, 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 loads of explosions, but, oh, for fuck's sake. So, yeah, actually, it, Iron Man 2, for all the flack it gets, could have been a lot worse. Yes, uh, it could have tran- been Michael Bay's Iron Man 2. I was going to say, <laughs> Transformers 2, uh, was it Dark of the Moon, no? Uh, no that's the third one. Revenge of the Fallen. That's it. That there is no revenge, there are no fallen. It doesn't matter. Okay, but interestingly enough, the comparison with Bay is not uh, entirely unwarranted. They marketed Iron Man in the same way that Transformers have been marketed. They they tied it in with various products, Burger King, Audi, and they they're even shameless about it. It's like you know, I want to get myself an American cheeseburger, and then he's sort of the next scene, he's grasping a Burger King bag. Um, the marketing about Iron Man was sort of the, you know the big and the flash and the loud and the exploding and the, you know big robots hitting each other. And Mark Kermode specifically says that oh, Iron Man's really strong up to the point when big robots start hitting each other at the end. I disagree. I think that's the, uh, the, the cherry on top. It's not you don't eat the cake for the cherry, but it's a very tasty cherry. That's just Indeed. the payoff when you've, you've got you know your enemy is the warmonger in yeah. So uh, uh, Ironmonger. I, I thought it was warmonger. No, no, you think a war machine? It's definitely Ironmonger. Or Ironmongers, Tony. Oh, okay. Maybe it's Warmonger for some yeah. reasons. Speaking of which, Jeff Bridges, look at his range. This guy was the dude, the mm. most peaceful, pacifistic, weak, wimpy little man in the world, and he's also totally believable as a, a, an industrialist, capitalist, war machine. Oh, <laughs> you got me started out. <laughs> Ironmonger. And a, a you know reverse bearded villain. He really likes to sculpt himself, uh, like physically and his you know hairstyle and whatever for each role. Because I, I I don't know like a lot of actors. I know a lot of actors feel like how a um, a character grooms himself or what clothes they wear really you know get a feel for what the character's like and mm. i think he thought okay this is a really cold businessman so i'm gonna shave all my hair off um <laughs> i and look really untrustworthy yeah yeah and he's really good in this role he's a good villain i think mm. Um, well, he's got a decent reason to, to be a good villain. He, ultimately, he's been doing this business for all of his life. He doesn't really see anything wrong with, with it. And he, he's, he's not, like, gloating, um, but, but he is annoyed with Tony's behavior, and, and he does ultimately you know, go, you know what, Tony, you are too much trouble. I'm going to take you out. 
his motivations aren't um, well. He is an asshole, but yeah. his motivations aren't like megalomaniac. He's he wants mm. money. He wants mm, profit, yeah. profit, which is admirable. I, I like money. I'm sure everyone likes money. So it, he doesn't come off as this over the top, uh, unrealistic villain. He he seems very real in that world. He doesn't want to hold the world hostage. He just no. wants to, you know, distribute suits and 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 it's you can make a killing selling off all these the, the mech suit technology to the U.S. military, and then you know once that's uh, out there, you can you know trickle it down through the uh, the, the foreign territories. Yeah, and I mean. When you look at it, uh, if someone suddenly came back and decided, oh, this company, we've been making weapons all this time, now we're not going to do that anymore. Mm. You'd obviously, all the board members would obviously try and turn back on that person. Yeah. And bear in mind, Obadiah's entire livelihood is tied up in this company. If their share prices plummet, Tony is taking, you know, taking Obadiah down as well. Now, that doesn't stop him being a totally ruthless, hateful Son of a bitch. But you can understand where he's coming from. I have a particularly soft spot for Pepper Potts as well, and I would be remiss not to say that she reminds me rather alarmingly of Sharon. And uh, our relationship is... (sighs) Sharon actually pointed out the other day while we were watching it uh, that there's a point... It's actually not between him and Pepper. It's when um, he comes, goes to his private plane and Rhodey's like, you're like two hours late. He's not really listening as he walks from his Audi and in there. Then he's pretty much inside the plane and he goes, we're waiting on you now. And it's a case of... Tony flips it so that suddenly it's like Rhodey just telling him what is absolutely sensible is suddenly moaning. It just it underlines what a completely irresponsible arse Tony is, and I've got to say it wholeheartedly, so am I. I don't aspire to be like that, but I see a lot of myself in Tony. And Pepper dutifully looks after this socially maladjusted creature. For what? I mean, it can't be the money. It can't be just Tony money. can be charming and inspiring and creative. A powerhouse of energy. energy. But he's also exhausting to be around. He's demanding, self-obsessed, insensitive, insensitive, and his mind moves so fast, so fucking fast, that if you're not moving at equally lightning speed, he will flatten you. In Tony's eyes, it's the rest of the world that has to catch up with him, and Pepper is one of the only people willing to at least try to keep up with him. So like I said, familiar. Because the thing with um, Tony Stark is he's never had to make compromises. He's He's a He's talented, he's creative, he's got all the money he ever needs, and he's charming, so no matter what's gone on, he's never had to compromise until his massive incident in his life. Yeah. And then, he, in, in the very literal sense, he has a breakdown. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is, it's, it's great, and it's, it's, it's a seriously handled point in the film. When the shit goes down that Iron Man actually has to go in and save the day on, it's, it looks like stuff that you've seen on the news. So it, it doesn't feel like great fun superhero antics until he actually shows up and starts ripping the insurgents to shreds. With the insurgent group that capture him, mm-hmm. something I didn't notice the first couple of times I watched it was what they were called. Yeah. The nine rings? No. It was, ten. yeah, ten rings. Oh, the ten rings, yes. Which, Peace. Mandarin. Yeah, as a reference to the idea that Mandarin may be in the background, like Saruman orchestrating events. Yeah, which I thought was nice. It wasn't a forced reference. It's there, but if you mm. miss it, it makes no difference. They also call the, the two fighters that uh, Tony has to, has to tangle with Whiplash 1 and Whiplash 2. That's a nice touch as well. I really like the scene where he's been captured, uh, not the scene, the sequence where yeah. he's been captured yeah. 
by the terrorist because it really demonstrates that he isn't just this arsehole rich guy who inherited his father's wealth, that yeah. he is actually as talented as he claims to be because yeah. he manages to make effectively <laughs> a, fusion, a miniature fusion reactor from scrap metal, which is, you know... Or scrap palladium, which is rather difficult to mine if you've ever played Mass Effect 2. Oh, true. <laughs> but, um, but, I mean... It demonstrates like this guy can, you know, walk the walk. He's not just a big mouth with a pile of money. He can, you know, seriously create some dangerous weapons. He's a and, genius engineer first and a big loudmouth second. Yeah, and and it does, and that sequence also does a lot to humanize a character who could have otherwise come off as um, an asshole all the way through it, an entertaining asshole but like there'd be nothing much more to him but his relationship with oh, I've completely blanked on the name what's his Yinsen. name? Yinsen his Yinsen, relationship yeah. with Yinsen mm-hmm. brings that like sympathetic element to the character and makes uh, get, you get to see a side of Tony that you don't get to see for much of the rest of the movie in mm-hmm. that sequence mm-hmm. I mean in the whole story of Iron Man no matter what Yinsen is a major part of his um, turn around. Yeah. I mean... Because he always has to die for this particular cause mm. so that they can really be hammered home for Tony. And he really gets to see the consequences of his yeah. lifestyle as well. He sees yeah. all the weapons around him uh, with the terrorists and he sees, right, I'm actually seeing the damage I'm causing. Yeah. I, I'm, I can't live, you know, I can't live the way I've been living from now on now that I've seen the destruction that I'm indirectly or not, he is causing it. Is it better to be feared or respected? And I say, is it too much to ask for both? With that in mind, I humbly present the crown jewel of Stark Industries' Freedom Line. It's the first missile system to incorporate our proprietary repulsor technology. They say the best weapon is one you never have to fire. I respectfully disagree. I prefer the weapon you only have to fire once. That's how Dad did it. That's how America does it, and it's worked out pretty well so far. Find an excuse to let one of these off the chain, and I personally guarantee you the bad guys won't even want to come out of their caves. It's quite a neat portrait of uh, American, well, a lack of American U.S. government accountability when it comes to this sort of thing actually going on in the weapons trade. Oh, everyone's gone silent. Not touching that political hot potato. You know, they find out, you know, Bush has been selling weapons to Iraq since whenever, and we knew that. I knew that during the Persian Gulf War. Those intelligence reports would come in. Iraq, incredible weapons. Incredible weapons. How do y'all know that? Well, we looked at the receipt. But as soon as that check clears, we're going in. <laughs> what time's the bank open? Eight? We're going in at nine. But you know, I'm just so sick of this whole deal of arm. We arm the world, we arm these little countries, and then we send troops over to blow the shit out of them. You know, we're like the we're like the bullies of the world right now. Do you know that? We're like Jack Palance in the movie Shane, <laughs> throwing the pistol at the sheep herder's feet. Pick it up. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.
you all saw him. He had a gun. But yeah, the, the, the point of accountability comes in uh, repeatedly throughout this. And, and ultimately, what everyone else considers Tony to be going crazy over is, is just him deciding that he's actually going to take some responsibility for what he's been doing his entire life. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, and then when they finally get to the actual um, the production of the armor and the, and the going through the engineering bits, again, you, you get to see his relationship with Dummy, that little robot claw thing. Yeah. It's fantastic. It's almost got like a wall levels of personality programmed into it. It's like maybe it's his great-great-great-great-grandfather. I really like the way they uh, show him um, not only building the suit, but getting used to the kind of abilities the suit is going to have. Because he's not immediately a master of flight. He He's actually a bit crap to start with. <laughs> well, technically, uh, he should be dead after that first test flight. <laughs> oh, yeah. But I'm not even just like when he's in the suit. I mean, when he's literally just testing the jets and... Mm. Um, Slams his face. He's like ruining his cars, feeling. destroying his cars. Oh no, um, I'm, I'm thinking, he, what are he like, like, even the first test when he's at 10%, that actually looks like something out of Jackass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the, the engineering parts in this, and specifically those in two, uh, seem integral to the character. It's like, no, this, you know, all of this other stuff that you're seeing of the Tony Stark and all of the bluster and all of the, the, the fast one liners and, and all the drinking. That may, that's the gloss he's put up around himself. This is the core of Tony. He is an engineer. He is fascinated by how things work mechanically, and he has that kind of mind. In the same way that Mozart could look at sheet music and just Im- or just look at piano and just immediately start putting music together in a way that I and you cannot comprehend. Tony can do that with machinery, mm-hmm. and I hope that people, ki- little kids, watch that and say, "I want to be an engineer." If they could actually, you know, if, if, if that inspired them, because the engineering bits in, in these films are some of the absolute best, because the intensity and the focus and the humour and the, the deftness of the whole thing. And it feels like he actually is creating something. I, uh, I love the, the sequence where he's just got the, it's, it's the hologram of the sort of gauntlet is fantastic, mm. where you literally, he just plans it out on the table, just flicks it around the place and then creates sort of the prototype that's hologram and then literally puts his hand in it and it follows him. It's like, I want that. I don't know what I'd do with it, but that is cool. <laughs> I, the, the tech on display here just, I think, made everyone... It's, it's kind of like... Everyone always attributes to Minority Report this whole Connect Controls thing, but the stuff on display in Iron Man, and even better in Iron Man 2, with the sort of drag and drop and the, and the moving stuff around, if things are like that in the next ten years, I am going to be so happy. The later on, they make an interesting uh, choice within the movie, and it's one of the things I like is... <laughs> Iron Man's a great character, but to look at the outside, he's a big robot. Mm. So for this movie, they made that strange choice, and it works so well. If you actually sort of, sort of, you have that camera in the helmet with him. Yes. That really helps the movie. Absolutely. And it made me forgive them the one crime. What's the one crime? Jarvis. What's wrong with Jarvis? Jarvis is a person, not a computer. In the world, he's a slightly fey old butler, but they've, I mean... They're trying to distance him from just being a technologically I think it was for the... Le, 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 yeah, he's not Batman, honest. Yeah. He doesn't have a manservant. But, uh, uh, hey, but it's Paul Bettany, so I'm not complaining yeah. about that. Just, it's, uh, but it, that also works because you have Jarvis being the... Getting rid of Jarvis, the person making that computer, I didn't like it at first, but when later, the movie moved on, he sort of got the reason, oh, Jarvis is on board in the suit, helping him out, and yeah. uh, trying to not make him do stupid things, and failing... 
it allows it to um, to humanise the suit and to make it much more of a rather than Tony just reading a readout and going, uh oh, I'm low on fuel, to, for it to actually say, sir, you're low on fuel, and yeah. for that to be like a certain, he's it's his Cortana, and yeah. that's how they could have done the Halo movie ultimately, the in head view. Because um, they kept saying, oh, we can't do Halo, we can't emote with a character who's just this sort of lifeless visor the whole time. Get inside his helmet, it's that simple. And they've even adapted that back into the comics nowadays as well, rather than well, cheating it with having expressions on the suit face. Oh, yeah, showing yes. it inside of the... inside, don't they? Yeah. The original Iron Man armor, I mean, there's been so many suits <laughs> over the years, but the straightforward, um, I mean, I'm talking about like when the Avengers launched, not the very original one, the grey oh, okay. and the gold one. Um, it just had like square eyes and then a straightforward square blocky mouth. But they actually made Iron, you know, his, his face in this look pissed off. You know, you know I think when, like when, when the... Um, uh, tank blows him uh, into a crater <laughs> and then he gets up and he goes and he, he looks pissed off and it, it works that the Iron Man face looks like it would strike fear into the hearts of the you know criminals being a superstitious and cowardly lot um, but as a, the, the, the comic one is just like it's, it's blank it's like square eyes and, and square yeah, the mouth. comic ones now looks a lot more like the movie one. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has undergone many changes. I mean, yeah, I know this one you're on about. Cause, yeah, the co- comics I've got, because they are the old style golden red with just yeah. the eye slits, eye holes and stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, and a lot of the time you could even see Tony's eyes underneath the armor, just like they're just metal apertures. Yeah. Which is, I mean, it's a good way for, to get to show him to emote, but it's like the second someone turns a flamethrower on him, he's toast. His eyes are roast. The other thing that's it's actually it's a small thing, but it's actually very significant. Um, his eyes in the comic very rarely glowed blue, but the blue glow gives him an intensity, and it's like because it's it's twinned with the blue glow of his heart. It's like he's finally seeing with his heart, if you know what I'm saying. I just uh, need your help for a sec. Oh my God, is that the thing that's keeping you alive? It was. It is now an antique. This is what will be keeping me alive for the foreseeable future. I'm swapping it out for an upgraded unit, and I just ran into a little speed bump. The speed bump? What, do you, what does that There's mean? Nothing. It's just a little snag. There's an exposed wire under this device, and it's contacting the socket wall, and it's causing a little bit of a short. It's... What? Fine. What, what, what do you want me to do? Put that on the table over there. That is irrelevant. Oh, my God. I just want you to reach in, and you're just going to gently lift the wire out. Is it safe? Yeah, it should be fine. It's like operation. You just don't let it touch the socket wall well, or it goes operate? beep. What do you mean operation? It's just a game. Never mind. Just gently lift okay. the wire. Okay? Great. You know, I, 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 I don't think that I'm qualified to do this. No, you're fine. You are the most capable, qualified, trustworthy person I've ever met. You can do great. Is it All too right. much of a problem to ask? Because I'm, I'm... Okay, okay. I really need your help here. Okay. Oh, 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 there's pus. It's not pus. It's an inorganic <laughs> plasmic discharge. It's from the device, not from my body. It smells. Yeah, it does. The copper wire. The copper wire. You okay. got it? I got it. Okay, got you it. got it. Now don't let it touch. Ah, eyes, eyes, when you're coming out. That's what I was trying to say before. Okay, now make sure that when you pull it out, you don't pull out the, there's a magnet at the end of it. That was it. You just pulled out. Okay. Oh, God. I was okay. not expecting it. Don't put it back in. Don't put it back in. What's wrong? Oh, nothing. I'm just going into cardiac arrest because you what? yanked. What? I thought out. you said this was I, safe. Out, Lure. We gotta hurry. Take this. Take this. Okay. We gotta switch it out really quick. Okay. Okay. 
Tony. What? It's gonna be okay. Is okay. It? It's gonna be okay. I I am Let's gonna make this okay. Hope. Okay, you're gonna attach that okay. to the base plate and make sure you. Is that so hard? That was fun, right? Eh? Oh, I got it. I got it. Nice. Yeah, I feel great. I also like to say that Iron Man is the only superhero where his costume actually makes sense. Yeah. And everything about it. But the, uh, for example, they even justify why he's painted it. Yeah. Um, with the uh, whole, uh, if he goes too high, then Frost starts, uh, you know, yeah, gumming up the world. So he uses a gold titanium alloy over the uh, armor, doesn't he? But he also says throw a little hot rod red in there because it's an ostentatious affectation because he, he, yeah, they show him fiddling with old cars beforehand, which is a great way of setting up that he loves that kind of thing. Yes, sir. Much less ostentatious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The Lamborghini, then. And Terence Howard as Rhodey. I actually, of the two Rhodeys, I, I really like him just that little bit more. He, mm. he, seems like, he seems like he's known Tony for a long time, and he takes his shit with good graces, but at the same time, he, he does seem like he has a job to do. He is very believable in his uh, military role as well, and he seems comfortable in that, in that one, and, and, and like he actually should be doing that. It just kind of helped that Terence Howard, let's face it, is a better actor than Don Cheadle. Oh, I hate to say that, because I've seen Don Cheadle do fantastic he things. He has done fantastic work, but he turns up and he does Guy in comic book movie, whereas Terence Howard turns up and does Guy in this role. Hmm. It's not a comic book movie to him, it's the role, and he portrays that, that weary friend that's had to put up with Tony's crap for years, yeah. and he's used to it, but you know, just every now and again, he just does that one little thing that just niggles him. The actual story behind it was is, is kind of the, the switcheroo. It's, it's a little bit kind of, what? What happened there? The, um, Terence Howard, it would appear, was the, uh, the first actor cast in Iron Man, and he actually got the highest fee, which is astonishing when you consider you know, how Robert Downey Jr. eats that film alive. But at the same time, Robert Downey Jr. was kind of a, an unknown quantity at the time. It was, it was a bit of a wash-up. He'd been in and out of jail. They didn't even know if he'd finished the film. So obviously I think they paid him a sort of a provisional fee. There was some negotiation with his agents and PR folks for the second one, and then it turned out that the fee they offered wasn't enough for his agents. So even though they didn't consult Terence, he was told over the phone, oh yeah, you didn't get Iron Man 2. What? He wasn't really consulted, and that makes me go, what? Mm. It's also interesting because this is like, unlike Cap, um, this was the risk. The, the Iron Man was the risk. So there weren't, I don't think many of the actors were locked into multiple movie deals like they normally, like they did with, for example, Chris Evans, who's locked into, I want to say six. Jesus. He's locked be, into six. To be Cap each time. Yeah, to be Cap. Oh. So he, that's what they tend to do is they'll lock an actor down for a set number of roles. I know Jackson's in for nine. Uh, I don't think they locked many of the Iron Man cast in because obviously at the time they didn't know whether or not it was going to be a big hit, or a yeah. minor hit, or you know a bomb. So yeah. I think that's one of the reasons. And yeah, you know Robert Downey is pretty much was at the time probably damaged goods mm. to be nice. Uh, Gwyneth Paltrow. Um, Hmm. I don't, her career's up and down sometimes. It's hard to say how it's doing. She's, so, she's definitely B-list, you know. I wouldn't she say got she, an Oscar, didn't she? For yeah, she, she, love, tends, so. she tends to go between the A and B-list. You know, she seems to be... You know, she'll do something really good and then they'll be slightly... Well, I was going to slide sliding doors off, but I've not seen it, so... But, um, you know what I mean? So, while it was a fantastic cast, it was still the Risk movie, so I, I, they didn't lock him in and that's why he ended up, you know, they offered him X amount of money. 
it wasn't enough, and he well, got apparently replaced. it wasn't enough for his agents. Mm. And then they, they, they pretty much called John Cheadle and said, would you do it for this much? Yeah, who am I? He, apparently John Cheadle thought that, that Iron Man was a robot beforehand. <laughs> God. But it is, I, I like Terrence Howard's portrayal as Rhodey, and when he says... Next time, baby, after looking at the silver armor, I was like, yeah, but now <laughs> I went to watch it. There's a slight amount of, oh, we get to do that. But, um, but yeah, no, he, he's, he's good as Rhodey, and I, I like to see, he's kind of Tony's conscience. So we've done the principal cast, we've done the engineering. Shall we now talk about the suits? Oh yes, yeah. yeah. Stan Winston's company actually uh, helped with uh, some of the um, uh, effects here, and it is a perfect example of how if you combine the practical with CGI in just the right way, it can create something really stunning. Yeah, um, part of this, you know, some of this really shows this is how you use CGI. You mix it with mm-hmm. with practical. Yes, it does go a bit transformative at the end, and that is probably a weak point. Sorry. I know you you like the ending payoff, but... Dude, he hits him with a motorbike. Oh, no, no, no. I think that's your bus. That's freaking hilarious. I love it, but you give it another couple more years, and that CGI alone will start to look just that little bit dated and that tends to be the trouble with using just CGI on its own but a lot of the times where they mix the two is when it really shines yeah yeah. I think actually uh, just to counter what Neil said I think CGI actually works best when you're dealing with mechanical structures like Iron Man or like the Terminator Um, uh, for example Terminator 2 I think the effects for the uh, liquid metal guy have you watched that on HD it doesn't hold up well really I I think it holds up pretty well to be honest oh no I watched it not long ago on HD the the scene where um, in the in the corridor of the uh, mall where he shoots him the first time he's it, it, it stands out. Some of the scenes still hold up. Yes, maybe like the floor scene. Or, yeah, that holds up really well. But some do, it, it's how you use CG. Sometimes it will, no matter the time, it will hold up well. But a lot of the times, it doesn't. It, I really like the stages of the armor. I like um, having that first really rubbish. Let's be honest, it looks crap. That armor. It doesn't the look Mark one. The Mark One looks. Yes. I mean, it looks like you could but... do something. It looks very functional. It doesn't look fancy or shiny or particularly, you know, pretty like the Mark uh, Two and Mark Three do. But I like that it feels kind of natural for the environment he I- he's in. Mm. Like I'm not going to make my masterpiece in a crappy environment. I'm going to make my masterpiece when I have all my toys that I'm used to playing with yeah. uh, at home. Well, at the time, he's not even making a masterpiece. He's just making what can get him out alive. Yeah. And I yeah. think he says it can barely... Ru- like, it only lasts for, like, uh, an hour or something. Uh, I forget the exact time frame. Minutes. I think 15 minutes. It's, 15 minutes? Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> he was on a tight uh, time frame. Yeah. Um, yeah, he says it when he builds the plate. It's something like it, it'll bear with you for the rest of your life. Or yeah. something big for 15 minutes. 
Yeah. Um, I, I really like um, the way the Mark... I, I actually think, in some ways, the Mark II actually looks a little bit better than um, the Mark III, because I, I don't know, it's just me, I like things that look functional mm-hmm. and less... You can see the flaps a lot more in this. Yeah. It looks more like it's... Um, it, it looks very clock... Not clockwork, but you know what I mean. They're, it looks like an aircraft. Gear work. I love how the Mark I engine is actually exposed on the back that you can yeah. definitely tell that it's very vulnerable if he's just made this for this one emergency situation yeah. it's a frontal assault and he doesn't expect to be turning around much speaking of the fact that the Mark II it resembles an aircraft um, this was made on the Hughes soundstage as in Howard Hughes it's an alarming coincidence that uh, Stark was basically making this armour in the same place that the Spruce Goose this like crazy massive concept airplane made by uh, Hughes back in the day was made. It's it's kind of like this legacy. I really like how they handle the weapons. Uh, specifically, the scene I think is actually the best action scene in the movie is when he swoops down uh, with the terrorists trying to execute uh, uh, the men in that village. That's yeah. one of my favourite um, scenes. The, the sound effect of the lasers coming out of his hand is mm. so brilliant because it, it feels like... You can hear that build-up of energy before... Oh, I mean the, the repulsors, the... Yeah, yeah the that, repulsor that, race. Yeah. yeah, you can feel like... It feels like a, like a generator's just powering up and then, bam, yeah. you get hit by a sledgehammer almost. Um, and also, like, all the weapons that he's hiding um, in his armour. Uh, I like the way how the armour almost, like, kind of shapeshifts, like, mm. different plates out of the way, exposing, like, a missile launcher, or mm. possibly the best little uh, moment in the film where his, uh, like, dart-like things come out of his shoulders, yeah. <laughs> um, just killing all those people. By the way, uh, it's worth mentioning, uh, Tony Stark has no qualms about just <laughs> executing fools. Yeah. Oh, like, cat fools. That's another difference between him and Batman. You kill people all the time. Yeah, I know. They were, you know, killing villagers. Did you not see? That, the I, person I in that know. tank I, is dead. Just I just, I, that tank moment is a great moment of mixing action and, and comedy because it's hilarious when the tank shoots him down. And yeah. like, as I said, he gets up, the ma- he looks annoyed, and he just points his wrist and there's this tiny little, <laughs> tiny little rocket comes out. He fires it, turns around, and you go, huh? And then he just... Skadoosh! Boom! Like, okay, he, that was the badass moment. He doesn't even have to walk away at that point. In fact, showing his back to the tank is just like, you know, like the total... You know, badass cowboy type thing to do but you know it just looks really great when photographed in that way and I'd like the fact that they take the mick out of that scene in two the, yeah well, the, the bunker buster <laughs> yeah the the, the, yeah. Uh, the ultimate ultimate the missile launcher yes he's quite watchable although he is essentially just doing the Robert Downey Jr which is, which is, which is, which is like that you know it's that's how he talks that I mean, is not it is that is not <laughs> then Next to that, you have the Gwyneth Paltrow performance, which goes... And then, then, Jeff Bridges! Yeah, but that's it. That's what he sounds like. I mean, it's almost... Okay, I will say about uh, Warmonger. Oh, you got me doing it now! Sorry, I... 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 I
I will say about Ironmonger, I really love this mech. It's got, in the same way that Spider-Man's, you know, what, you know, some might say arch villain is a shadowy giant black reflection of himself, Venom, uh, and Wolverine's uh, arch nemesis is a great big shaggy version of himself, Sabretooth, and Charles Xavier's nemesis is, is a is a politically opposed version of himself, Magneto. Iron Man's greatest foe is a giant dark version of himself totally unaccountable I'm going to sell weapons to whoever I like and then you know it just so happens he's also a great big iron robot that you know twats Tony around like uh, nobody's business and he has Gundam feet I think also um, to the scene earlier that scene where he's just kicking terrorist asses is important to demonstrate how powerful he is so when you get to this scene with Ironmonger you realise just how powerful that mech really is like like Iron Man can handle himself in a fight so if he's getting his ass kicked that means his foe is pretty tough also, Tony is weakened, and it is much more compelling to watch a character who is, you know, on his last legs and has only got a little bit of reserves left, a John McClane-type character, rather than someone who just comes in and is a total badass and lays waste to his villains. That's what they always get wrong in Saturday morning cartoons. The heroes are overpowered, the villains are bumbling. They, that, that doesn't work in narrative. That's boring. It always follows the same narrative, and at the, the end, the villains get away, and the heroes let them get away. You know, it... You know, in, in, in real stories, it doesn't happen like that in you're, real stories. In you're, going real get, stuff. you're going to eliminate this threat once and for all. You're not yeah. going to let them walk away so they might come back. Yeah, they're not, they're not contracted for the sequel. <laughs> <laughs> they can only come back if people really want them. Like, for, there's word that that guy in Avatar might be coming back for the sequel. What? Why? I mean, he was, you know, he, he was a bad enough guy in, 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 in that first film, but I don't think he really needs to come back for the second one. Can you just get an, an arsehole military man instead? Well, it's the, the whole point is to bring that character back. They haven't written a strong enough villain for that movie. Yeah. Mm. I mean, I, I'm not a fan of these movies. I'm not really a fan when the comic book movies kill off kill off the villains. Cause That's I, true, yeah. You know, I do like it when they come back. It's one of the reasons I despise the end of Batman. Of the bur- Batman, yeah. Actually, now that I know a lot more about Batman, that is the stupidest thing. You can't kill the Joker. It defeats the point. It defeats the point. The whole point is that Batman has to keep looking him up, and he has to keep getting out and going, so what are you going to do, Batsy? Kill me? Kill the Joker. <laughs> I know. I scare Lyra with it. She goes, stop it! Don't do the Joker! As Heath Ledger said, this is what happens when an unstoppable force meets an immovable object. That's Mm. the whole nature of their relationship. They're just locked Mm. uh, permanently. But the Joker would love it if Batman actually killed him. If that was it with his last breath here, go, <laughs> joke's on you. The only way you're going to get what you want is you're going to have to kill me. And that was kind of the point of the killing joke. Yes. That's vicious. That's when Batman really started getting unpleasant. Thank you, Alan Moore. We've gone all over the place in terms of comic <laughs> books in this one. It's good. No, it's good. It's, it's a nice it's, way of relating. It's so hard not to do because really... It's the, na- it's the nature of com- talking about comic book movies. Yeah. Yeah. And there's only a small group that that comic books really use. You know, it, it, it's hard not to compare Tony Stark to Bruce Wayne because, mm. oh yes, the the reasons for why they fight are different, but the sort of setup is similar. You know, yeah. rich, they're they're intelligent. Well, they're pra- both practically ge- well, they are geniuses. They both got daddy issues. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it, it is, when it comes to comic books, it's hard not to to, to compare them. But the fantastic thing about um, I, this Iron Man movie, it, it's got the perfect style and execution. You know, even though that you could compare, you know, Tony Stark to Bruce Wayne, you don't with this movie because you know they're completely different, and yeah. the style and the tone are completely different, and it's. And I think it was one of the rare comic book movies that took itself seriously when it needed to, but had fun when it could. I think, actually, relating to Batman, this came out just months before The Dark Knight did. And I think if it had come out two weeks afterwards, it would never have been as popular. People would have been like, ah, it's not The Dark Knight. Um, but because it came out beforehand, everyone was all you know super pumped for it, and it was... It actually sits alongside the Dark Knight very neatly. It's held up, and it's what's well, been four years now, uh, and it's held up surprisingly well. And I think it will maintain that because of the dialogue and the, the rawness of it. It kind of feels like everyone's on edge watching Downey Jr. and watching what he's going to do and what he's going to say, which is true. Which is what it was because like, he'd do different takes each time just to keep people on their toes and to keep them off guard. The, the tech and the, the the effects and the the, the very strong, uh, straightforward narrative of, of Tony's journey he's going to maintain over the years I love the little running gag that's throughout this about S.H.I.E.L.D. is where Nation yeah. Coulson keeps turning up and he, he lifts off the full name he goes yeah we're looking into a shorter thing and, that, and I was sat there going hang on I know that and I couldn't piece it for some reason it didn't it didn't mm. fall into my head it was S.H.I.E.L.D. Oh, actually, speaking of that, Sharon and I, who were in a, uh, a, a cinema with 17 Spanish kids who all sat in front of us gabbling away the whole time um, when we, we actually stayed all the way through to the end because I was like, it's going to be worth it, it's going to be worth it. There's a, there's a rumour that Samuel L. Jackson turns up at the end. And he bloody didn't. Because for some reason we'd gotten a preview version of Iron Man, even though it was oh. actually two days after release. And the, the, it was removed from all the preview versions so that that rumour would not be spread about. Yeah, so, that cameo is, uh, is, doesn't that come at the end, end of the credits? It is the very yeah. right talent. Yeah, that's the wrong place. I mean, why they didn't stick it after the sort of animated credits, more people mm. would have seen it, because I knew about it, and I stayed. Yeah. And they, when he comes on the screen, it's like, yes! The, the cameo at the end of Incredible Hulk, for example, of Tony Stark, uh, is, is, is spot on. It's, you know, it's, the very, it's a, little, uh, a little treat at the end for everyone, and, uh, and, and it sort of sets up the Avengers, which Iron Man 2 does even more. Iron Man was one of the most popular trailers of last summer, but controversy is sweeping the fan community today. Following the announcement that Paramount Pictures is planning to adapt the beloved trailer into a feature-length motion picture. Here to discuss the details is Entertainment Weekly writer Rory Covey. Rory, good to see you again. I take it there's some uh, mixed reaction to this news. What are they going to do? Uh, the Iron Man trailer is near and dear to a lot of fans' hearts, so you can imagine how worried people are about this news. Apparently, the plan is to expand that fast montage of very short shots seen in the trailer into full-length, distinct scenes. And in between those scenes, they plan to add additional scenes that weren't uh, in the, the trailer. It just doesn't seem like that would work. That's right. The 
fact is it's very difficult to make the character story action that work in a 90 second format also work when they're stretched out to 80 or 90 minutes. Why do you think the trailer was so popular? Well, it does tell an amazing story, Michael. A cocksure billionaire industrialist and inventor is kidnapped but turns on his captors by designing an amazing mechanized suit of armor, ultimately becoming a hero to the world. It is a breathtaking 90 second thrill ride. Surely then Paramount realizes the tremendous financial risk of alienating the trailer's core fan base if they don't embrace the film properly. Exactly, and, and that's right. why the studio has tried to reassure the public that everything that they love about the trailer will be incorporated into the movie adaptation right down to actual lines from the trailer. And they are bringing Robert Downey Jr. back to reprise his role as Tony well, Stark. Well, there would have been a real outcry if they had tried to cast someone else. Yes, but that doesn't quell everyone's fears over whether the integrity of the trailer is in danger. For instance, the red-headed woman, played by Gwyneth Paltrow. Who's great. She is great, and fans love her three-quarters of a second role. I mean, what if they gave her more lines or more scenes? Mm -hmm. I mean, who knows what they'll put in there uh, between the point where he breaks out of the lab in the suit and the point where he flies in front of those jets. What if they put in a tedious romantic subplot that was 20 or 30 minutes long? That doesn't sound good. <laughs> No. Well, I guess uh, we'll all be waiting to see how it actually turns out. Yes. Luckily for us, Paramount has announced that it plans to release the movie in theaters along with a group of eight entirely new entertainment-packed trailers to screen before the film. So even if the movie is no good, hopefully the trip to the theater will be worth it anyway. Rory Covey, thanks for being with us today. We'll Thank see you later you. on. Okay. In Seattle today, a man has bruised 23 people in a punching spree. The only other one I, I thought we should mention is cameos. Yes, go. Uh, obviously, Stan. The man. Stan the man, because um, he's in all of them, I think. Yeah, um, pretty, I think he's been in every single Marvel. Was he in Blade Trinity? He's not I been don't in know about Blade, Blade and he's no, been in the X-Men. nothing to do with... He was in X-Men 3 as much as it pains me to say it, I think. Was he? Was he? Um, with Chris Claremont at the start. Um, but yeah, Stan with his setting up something they carried on in the second one as well with him being mistaken for other people. Famous people, yeah. In, the, in this one it's um, Hef. Hugh Hefner and in the second one it's Larry King. King. Nice. <laughs> and apparently I was reading earlier on Tom Morello as well. Yeah, I never actually called that. Yeah, Tom Morello played one of the terrorists. He also has, um, he did a lot of the guitar work for the film. The score by Raymond Javadi, um, who also did, interestingly enough, the score for Game of Thrones from last week's show. It, it's got this also sort of riff, which keeps recurring throughout it, which actually reminds me of that Metallica S&M performance of No Leaf Clover. I'll, I'll compare the two right now. And yeah, see, Tom Morello did a lot of the guitar work. And they used Cochise to promote it in the trailer. Strange enough, what did they use in the actual movie? ACDC. More on ACDC next time.
unfortunately. Yep. Okay, so what we're going to do now, folks, is we're going to carry on and talk about Iron Man 2, but we're going to hold that back, and you're not going to hear about it until we finish talking about The Incredible Hulk next week, because we want to keep it in the release order at the same time as the films. So, that will be all from us this week on Iron Man 1. I'd like to thank my guests, Joshua Garrity, Jerome McIntosh, Neil Taylor, and Paul Gibson. Catch you guys next week, and this is the only song I could possibly have ended on. Uh, been a while since I was in front of you. I figure I'll stick to the cards this time. <laughs> <clears throat> There's been speculation that I was involved in the events that occurred, the freeway and the rooftop. I'm sorry, so- Mr. Stark, but do you honestly expect us to believe that that was a bodyguard in a suit? that conveniently appeared, despite the fact that... I know that it's confusing. It is one thing to question the official story and another thing entirely to make wild accusations or insinuate that I'm uh, a superhero. I never said you were a superhero. Didn't? Mm -mm. Well, good, because that would be outlandish and uh, fantastic. I'm just not the the hero type, clearly, with this uh, laundry list of character defects, all the mistakes I made. Largely public. Truth is, I am Iron Man. Avengers Assemble.